As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. <laughs> Why are you rubbing your arms? Your arms still hurt? Yes. From softball practice? Yes. How'd that go? I'm old. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, you feel it. It's it's funny. You know, you go out and you play first game of the season or whatever, and uh, the next day you feel okay. Two days later, you're in hell. Ooh, it's fine. It's fine. I'll be fine. Maybe later, I'll rub you down with some soothing ointment. Oh, you know how I love the word ointment. Oh, that's right. It's salve. Like you, you hate the word ointment and moist. <laughs> you know what? I do like salve, though, and balm. Words with the L sound in the middle. I get that. It just feels good saying. And we got this email from Allison. I wanted to uh, to share it with you. Uh, it says, Kat and Jethro just heard the most recent episode and loved it to bits, except the trapped in the elevator thing, claustrophobia. Kat, I have one more presidential fact for you. Harry Truman was the only president, to my knowledge, to be stalked by my mother. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> what? Uh huh. Apparently, uh, she and her family were vacationing in Independence, Missouri, as one does for some reason, sure. she says. And my grandfather decided to seek out Truman's house. And they found it, and they saw him in the window reading his newspaper. <laughs> so they hid in the bushes and watched him for an indeterminate amount of time. <laughs> I'm, I'm told my grandmother and my aunt refused to leave the vehicle on principle, but my mother had no such qualms. This I discovered when I said, quote, tell me a story about your childhood I've never heard before. Oh. I shall have to ask that question more often. Yes, we all should ask that question more often. This episode drops on Memorial Day here in the United States. For those of you spending the weekend with your family, take advantage of this. Yes, great idea. Ask the oldest person in your family that question. Tell me a story about your childhood I've never heard before, and then report back to us. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so excited. Curator at theboxofoddities.com, or you can send us a message on the social meds. Or to satisfy Glenn, apparently, the social medias. 
One of my coworkers uh, has a boyfriend who who, who despises the Sochmeads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just lazy, you know. <laughs> we we figure if we save a syllable here and there, they'll add up over time. Right. It's like that episode of The Office where Kevin was abbreviating every word. I miss The Office. It's a good one. Here we go. Back in two thousand nine, some um, some pictures of a very gruesome spectacle first appeared online and caused uh, quite a stir. The photos appeared to be those of uh, the walking dead. Yes, zombies, real zombies. The um, gaunt specters appeared to be leading a funeral procession to their own grave as they walked a dirt path between houses on the trail of their corpse road, it was called. This is a real-life story of the walking dead of South Sulawesi Island, Indonesia. These photos appeared online of a corpse, actually several of them, appearing to be walking down a road in this village in Indonesia. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. So they weren't... It wasn't like... People dressed as zombies. No, or no, made these up. Were they were they were dead, corpses. Dead corpses. Dead corpses. Even dead corpses, as opposed to well, no, they were live corpses. <laughs> Interesting. In, in this well, case, well, they were animated at least. Yeah, at least they were. Were that. they being puppeted? What's happening? <laughs> like there was a giant marionettist <laughs> over them <laughs> with <laughs> strings, and yeah. Well, these photos circulated around the internet for quite a while, and. Uh, the photo was described as a rolong, which literally means the corpse who stands up. Now, it was suggested uh, that the photo was taken at a funeral ritual where the body of the dead person was resurrected by shaman. The legend is local shaman at the funeral would perform some sort of a ritual, raise them from the dead, and then they would get up and walk to their grave. I mean, that seems lazy. Couldn't you just, like, carry them to the grave? Yeah, they're dead already. Why make them do the heavy lifting? Right. That's a good point. Thanks. So the shaman raises this person from the dead. They walk under their own control back to their place of birth, to the village where they were born, and then they're buried there. Now, the walking corpses are also accompanied by a handler who would choose specific paths for them to to walk there was a specific trail a corpse road if you will that so was the handler's like a sheep herder he's got a stick or something and yeah, then just kind of yeah kind of like that exactly sure sure sure, yeah. sure 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 the paths were more or less straight and uh the walk so that you know the walk you don't want your walking corpse all stumbling about tripping and falling and stuff so. right although every corpse i've seen that's walked in a movie stumbles about so a little, a little. yeah they seem to have some degraded Balance. A zombie's equilibrium sucks, let's face it. Well, it's that inner ear thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you don't have one. Sure. It causes problem. balance issues. Yeah. So their handler accompanies them back to uh, their village where they're supposed to be buried. Mm-hmm. Now, if they encounter other people along the way, traditionally, those other people are expected to never engage the zombie in conversation. Right. To avert their eyes, not even look at them. Don't even acknowledge that they're there because if you do, then they crumble into a pile of salt. Uh-huh. In addition, it's it's been said that after several years of internment, uh, the dead return on occasion to just, you know, saunter about among the living. They'll just get up for a walk. Mm-hmm. 
In the past, it was even alleged that there were civil wars in this area that were conducted entirely by armies of the undead. Oh, yeah. This is according to Ripley's and the uh, Zombie Research Society, which is a real thing. Mm-hmm. You seem skeptical of this. Oh? Yeah. Huh. Well, I promise you that the pictures were real. Okay. But here's the situation. Okay. The residents of Tana Toraja, for them, the walking dead are very real. Now, that village is located in the mountainous island of, as I said, South Sulawesi in Indonesia. It's uh, deep in a lush jungle on the eastern seaboard. It sounds nice. Of Indone- uh, Indonesia. Yeah, the pictures are beautiful. Tana Toraja is known as the Island of the Heavenly Kings, and they're known for their beautiful tropical climate. Uh, they're famous for their coffee beans that are grown there oh. and their bizarre funerary rites. Okay. So for the Tarajans, they see death not as an event to be mourned, but celebrated. It's a transition to their ancestral resting place. Nice. This is not something to be sad about. It's like getting a promotion. Cool. That's how they look at it. I like that. I like that very much. In fact, they don't even view members of their community as being dead until their public funeral has been completed. Now, that may not happen right away. Okay. Most of the time, the funeral doesn't happen until years after they've died. How do you, how do then, then how do they decide when it happens? Here's how it works. Prior to the funeral, once an individual's sangha, they call it, or biological life has ended, the body is mummified and kept in a special room within the Tonkonan, the traditional Torajan home. Okay. There, the family continues to speak and to interact with the corpse as if it is living. They uh, symbolically feed the corpse. They talk to it. Uh They care for it. They dress and undress it. This is some some Weekend at Bernie shit. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It is. They take him water skiing. I mean, of course, I... Of course, I respect the traditions of, of other cultures. I don't, I I mean, it doesn't concern me at all what they do with their, their corpses. No. Um, it's just the, the imagery that <laughs> I have immediately goes to 1980s uh, camp films. Yeah, So sure. I get that. <laughs> the deceased is considered to be what they call makala or mema, which means to be sick or asleep. Now you ask me why the funeral doesn't happen right away right? and why sometimes it occurs years after the death. It's because the family keeps the body in the house for the time it takes them to save up the money for the funeral. Sometimes even living in poverty in order to do it because these rituals, these funerals are elaborate. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate a culture that doesn't encourage you to live your life in debt. (laughs) One of the most important aspects of the funeral is uh, like a a painted bamboo or wooden effigy of the dead family member. It's made in like an exact likeness of the deceased. It's called a Tao Tao. And the Tarajans believe that uh, the the Tao Tao hosts part of the soul. The Tao Tao is carried alongside the body through the village in a colorful parade procession that uh, can be upwards to a mile long and last for hours. 
That's fascinating. I want to know, like, throughout history, what led to this particular belief and this particular ceremony? Right. What what series of things and and what else used to be a part of it that isn't part of it anymore and what has changed i'm really curious about the path that this very interesting mm-hmm. tradition took to get to where it is now i and have the i have the answer for you, you. Do? yeah okay yeah. it's coming up at the end of this episode okay <laughs> thank you <laughs> you're welcome nice teaser so they keep the dead person in their hut or their house until they can pay for the funeral they ceremoniously feed the uh, the corpse and dress them and interact with them like they're still alive. They build this Tao Tao effigy and then uh, they take the Tao Tao and the body through the village in a very colorful and huge parade. All members of the community, up to thousands of people, thousands, may attend these joyous multi-day, even in some cases, depending upon the stature of the person in society, multi-week Events, wow. So you can see why it takes them a while to save up for it. Sure. Rituals uh, for those who do attend include uh, they like join hands in prayer. There's dancing. There's songs that they sing to celebrate the life of the deceased. There are also animal sacrifices, mm. the meat of which is divided among the mourners. So at least they're not, you know, wasting it. Um, I guess, but there could be thousands of mourners. No, but what they do is they sacrifice a water buffalo and then just whatever's you know oh got it first come first serve i've been to barbecues like that it's never good that's why i always have snacks in my car yeah it's important speaking of which i've got to take those fiddleheads out (laughs) starting to smell weird people don't even know what fiddleheads are if they're not people know what fiddleheads are fiddleheads it's a main delicacy you have to look it up it's poisonous ferns they're delicious (laughs) it's like the vegetarian version of blowfish (laughs) they have to be prepared properly or you'll die so after the funeral's been completed The body is then interred within a mausoleum or a tomb built into the face of a limestone cliff. (laughs) Interred. It's like I'm doing a show with a third grader and I love that. Boobs, farts, boobs, whatever. That's a Brooklyn Nine-Nine reference. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. All right. Back to the story. Uh, So they they inter them in a uh, mausoleum or a hollowed out tree or they hang them from a mountain in a bamboo frame. I love the idea of a hollowed out tree, just jamming a corpse in a hollowed out tree. Because if you don't know about that particular ceremony, and then you're going for a jog through the woods, and all Uh of a sudden you see (laughs) this little face poking out through a tree hole. (sighs) Kind of like a scene from Wizard of Oz. So wherever they may inter the body, the Tao Tao stands as a silent sentinel, watches over the final resting place. Oh, so you've got a heads up if you're jogging through the woods. You'll see the Tao Tao. Yeah, that'll say, don't look in this tree. Got it. For example. Got it. Which naturally to me as a child would have meant, look in this tree. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> Poke it with a stick. Even today, I would that would <laughs> yeah. signal that action to me. Oh, God. In exchange for the service of the Tao Tao, gifts such as beer and candy and money are regularly left with the Tao Tao. Now, the strangest part of this uh, culture is what they call the manini. Corpses are exhumed from the grave. They are cleaned. They are dressed in new clothes. If needed, maintenance is conducted on their uh, on their burial place, their crypt, their casket, maybe even replaced. The mummified remains, now freshened up, are paraded through town where the relatives can take pictures and videos of their 
dead ancestors. It's it's literally a parade of corpses. That's amazing. You can take a selfie with your dead great 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 grandfather in some cases. That's a really unique and special opportunity. And so somebody was visiting this area. It's a pretty remote area and took a picture of this and posted it online and kind of built a story around it. Sure. That these were really zombies that were walking about. And here's the picture. And you can see why that story would easily be uh, concocted. Oh, for sure. Because she looks. It's a it's a picture of um, of a man standing next to a corpse, and the corpse appears to be looking where she's going and in mid stride. What is actually happening there is they are refreshing the body, they're cleaning the body and mm-hmm. getting it ready for the parade. But it looks like a, a walking person. A walking... It looks like the woman behind her is doing one of those spiritual cleansings yeah, too. Yeah, with, with sage. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought too. That she was. Or know. like in Ecuador when they hit you with sticks. Yeah. I can't wait for them to hit me with sticks in Ecuador again. I know. I That'll know. be great. It's a good time. So many people, you know, in the outside world think this practice is macabre or, or grotesque, but uh, the Tarajans look at it as a devotional act of love and faith and. Uh, their belief that life does not cease with death. It's just a transition. It's just a, it's a promotion is how they look at it. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, the online article that got all the traction early on said that not only do the dead return on occasion to walk amongst the living after several years of internment, but in the past it was alleged that uh, there were civil wars in that area between warring tribes and that uh, those wars were conducted entirely by armies of the undead. Mm -hmm. But those tales did not begin online. Tarajan history holds stories of uh, the walking dead as part of their rich cultural fabric. You wanted to know where these stories came from. Right. They insist that their ancestors could actually perform with black magic these rituals. They had knowledge, which it was able to resurrect the dead and have them actually walk to their own graves. They say that they still know how to do this, but they haven't done it for a long time because they say it is not appropriate for modern society. So the story starts with an online article saying, hey, zombies are walking in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And then people go and research it. They find out that it is this ritual that they perform with, uh, with their dead ancestors. And so it looks like they're walking through the streets as dead zombies or zombies. The reality is that's what's taking place, but it's a ceremony based on it actually happening in the past that their ancestors actually made these things happen. They say they can still make these things happen. They choose not to because it's not appropriate in modern society. I mean, sure. You know, when I was a kid, I told people I could fly. That's, uh, <laughs> But I could only do it once a day, and I wasn't going to waste it on them. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's this reminds me a lot of a uh, a book that I read years ago. I can't remember the title exactly, but it was something along the lines of zombies and philosophy. And it was about the history of zombie stories and how we have loved them for as long as we have and how they evolved. And, you know, originally they started with a real voodoo vibe. And it came from a lot of these small tribes who had interesting traditions with their dead um, and has evolved over the years. Uh, to change to 
what as a society we see as actual threats. So back in the day, the threat was voodoo or religions that uh, practice dark magic. And then it progressed and changed. And now so many of the zombie stories that we hear are virus related, because again, it's something that uh, we are afraid of that we can't control. And that coincided with news coming out in the media that there are antibiotic resistant strains of uh, bacteria Superbugs. And, and viruses, yeah, that are mutating. And yeah, so that makes perfect sense. So you want to go to one of these uh, funerals? Sure. I mean, as long as it's considered respectful yep, yep. for someone to just go and watch. Yep. The people of Taraja will allow you to even participate in these unusual funeral ceremonies. But know that uh, that if you do want to be part of a Tarajan funeral, that you should be prepared to bring gifts for the family sure. of, of the deceased, like uh, cartons of cigarettes or bags of sugar. And then you can expect to take part in coffee and sweets with them. That's very cool. At the funeral. That's nice. So there you go. That's really interesting. And would be something I think would be incredible to be able to be a part of. Oh, I know. I mean, I don't know how much I would be into gifting a carton of cigarettes. Um, <laughs> I've seen videos of, of kids smoking in Indonesia. It's not really my bag. Mm-hmm. But um, sugar. Yeah. Sugar I can get on board with. Sure, no problem. Even though I've heard it's actually more addictive than cigarettes. Right. But it whatever. Is, but it kills you slower. <laughs> right. So that's good. And wider. And now that thing in the middle. Today, a list of unusual things that were found in sewers around the world. Number five. In Scotland, they found a fax machine in the sewer. That's where it belongs. How do you flush a a fax machine? Number four. The water treatment facility in Japan pulled out approximately... 36,000 pounds worth of gold from its sludge. The gold particles are said to have come from precision instruments used by people in the industry. That's fascinating. Number three, dinosaur fossils. In Alberta, Canada, construction crew working on new housing developments discovered dinosaur fossils. Paleontologists believed they were from a duck-billed dinosaur called Hypocrosaurus. More like Hypogrosaurus, am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Number two. In London, workers found a hand grenade in a sewer. You got to be careful when you're handling those things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you should be careful when you're handling anything from a sewer. And number one, you know, you've heard the urban legend of people flushing baby alligators down the toilet and then them living in the sewers and becoming huge. Well, in Texas, it's a reality. In 2006, workers found a huge 600-pound alligator. He was found exploring a three-foot-wide drain in Texas. So they they pulled him out and released him. Yeah. I can't imagine that that's a nice life for an alligator. Though I bet there are lots of rats to eat. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer all stories on the box of oddities are true and some of them actually happen okay uh so if you're on the old uh, facebook's then you've seen that the thing that they have now in groups is the top fan rating yes so if you are a frequent commenter or uh, whatever on uh, certain groups, then you can get the top fan thing, and it comes with a little badge. It's cute. Yeah. I like it very nice. much. Yeah. And one of our top fans is Sam Porter. He's rad. Uh, we dig him a thousand times. And one of his friends sent us a message. Uh, her name's Lindsay, and she talked a little bit about um, how she's been going through some drugs, and we totally understand that. They came to our show in Nashville, and we got to meet them, and it was incredible. She said that sometimes, like a lot of us, she kind of dips out of relationships. Not that she's not pro that relationship anymore. It's just hard for her to stay socializing with everyone all the time. And I get that a lot. She said that no matter what, though, uh, Sam is always there and always supportive and always sending her fun things that kind of make her smile. 
So then uh, she sent us this message uh, that included this gorgeous poem to be read to the tune of Eleanor Rigby for Sam. And it goes something like this. Dog in a trench coat. Gets a promotion at work and then sheds his disguise. Canine surprise. surprise. I'm not sure what that means. I love it. (laughs) But it's nice to be part of an inside joke. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Lindsay, for the message. And thank you, Sam, for being a Bing top fan. Yeah, and a good person. Yeah, that helps, too. (laughs) What you got for me? Or as I like to say, what you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? Oh, that was fun. Yeah. I like it when you pull that out. Wait. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> it's good, too, that, that that's light and fun. Uh, this is not. Okay. Prepare yourself. And this might be a trigger, uh, too, for some people. I just want to give you a heads up that this uh, does get upsetting at points. Um, okay. So, Okay. <clears throat> So you may have heard about the town of Novia de Cordero. Um, That is in southeast Brazil. More than 600 women live there, and most of them are in their 20s uh, and 30s. Now, the story is that they are the only occupants of this town, and that they've now invited bachelors into their town uh, so that they can have boys to marry. Okay, so this is a village of 600 women. Right. And that's it. That's right. In 2014, though, that story blew up, and you can find it in publications from all over the world. And it's actually been debunked. BBC Brazil uh, dismissed the story as a hoax, Hmm. and it spread like wildfire. It is a a town where there are mostly women, but it's because their husbands mostly work out of town. It's just the nature of the economy of the area, and it's just not, it's not what it was told as. It's interesting that uh, it spread as quickly as it did, and the nature of it, and how it's kind of like... Some of the articles were talking about the town. It was like it was a real life bachelor kind of situation. And it was sold as something much saucier than it actually was. Sure. Gotcha. There is, however, a village entirely of women. Amoja. Amoja is located in north central Kenya in the Samburu County near Archer's Post. And it's a small village, but it is growing. In 2005, there were 30 women and 50 children living in Emoja. As of 2015, there were 47 women and 200 children living in the village. Now, traditionally, Samburu women have a very subordinate position in society. They are not allowed to own land or other types of property, such as livestock, and that is because they themselves are seen as property to their husbands. So, in essence, their livestock. Correct. Amoja, however, uh, slightly different. It was founded by Rebecca Lolosoli, a Samburu woman. She was born in the village of Wamba in 1962. She was one of a family of six brothers and sisters. She married a man at the age of 18. Her dowry consisted of 17 cows. She created her own business selling goods in the village, and she, she was 
a strong woman. She stood up for the rights of women. She helped women in her community. However, uh, one day her husband left for business and she was beaten by four men who took her money. And when her husband returned, he did nothing to stand up to these men or defend her. In fact, uh, she was the one who had done wrong by being robbed. And so she left him. Wow. In 1990, she and a few other women founded the village of Amoja and made it a woman only space. A sanctuary for homeless survivors of violence against women, forced marriages, and uh, rape, domestic violence. In Samburu culture, there are some traditions uh, that in other parts of the world are seen as quite barbaric. Uh, The practice of male and female genital mutilation. Right, Um, right, right. So boys are circumcised in their teenage years and girls are circumcised, quote unquote, before marriage. Unmutilated girls do exist, but they are forced to have sex if they are part of a beating tradition. Okay, this is where it gets kind of rough. Prepare yourself. All right. In Samburu culture, there is a practice called beading. And it's intricate beaded necklaces. They are the symbol of the Kenyan nation. They're beautiful. But in Samburu girls specifically, the necklaces are also a symbol of something much darker. Um, So you said beading, B-E-A-D, as opposed to beating. Yes, B-E-A-D-I-N-G, beading. Gotcha. In beading, an older man will approach a young girl's parents with red Samburu beads and place the necklace around the girl's neck. Effectively, what he's doing is calling dibs. It's like a temporary engagement, and at that point, he can start having sex with this girl. Wow. Uh, The older male beating a younger girl can be within her family or Mm. a non-relative. Really? Wow. Some girls who are beaded are no more than six years old. They are... um, Okay. Samburu culture dictates that girls be engaged to a relative... Okay. Sorry. Take your time. And they are allowed to, uh, and they are forced to have sex with them, but they are not allowed to get pregnant, but there are no preventative measures for pregnancy. So at the end of the day, obviously, most of these girls at a certain point end up getting pregnant. They end up dying because their body can't handle pregnancy or the babies end up dying or being killed or given away. When they reach adulthood, Samburu girls will marry outside of their village, but taboo dictates that the girls who were beaded, who had babies, who kept those babies, are never allowed to get married. They are forever shamed. Wow. You're right. That's some heavy shit. It's some fucking heavy shit. So, these 15 women came together in 1990 and founded the village of Emoja. Now, obviously, this is not a situation that the surrounding region's men 
are on board with for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there are men who are like, cool, yeah, women's rights, I'm in. But for the most part, not so much. Mm. So in response, some men established their own nearby villages, uh, tried to set up rival craft businesses, tried to dissuade tourists from stopping at Emoja, and uh, it eventually failed. All of the surrounding men's only villages failed. And the women of Emoja ended up buying the land wow. that those neighboring communities had purchased. Now, when they set this up, this all-female mm-hmm. village, how do they enforce that? How do they keep guys out? Women stand guard. They do. And then they, if a man tries to come in, they team up and they attack them. Wow. Men are permitted to visit the village, but never allowed to live in Emoja. Only men who were raised as children in the village might sleep in the village, but they still aren't allowed to live there. Huh. So if you're a young boy and you grow up there, Mm -hmm. you get to a certain age and goodbye. Yep. You have to leave. Okay. Which seems harsh, but it's also an incredible way to raise thoughtful equality-minded men and put them out into the world. That's true. Isn't that incredible? That is. I mean, you don't... In in a society like this, it can't help but but move the general population in the right direction, just nudging them a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that that's amazing. Um, Residents in Umoja are engaged in traditional Samburu crafts, which they sell at the Umoja Wasu Women's Culture Center. Crafts include colorful beads, a home-brewed low-alcohol beer, and more. Um, The items are available uh, on the web as well, which Mm. is pretty incredible. The women also run a campsite for tourists. And every woman who lives there donates 10% of their earnings to the village as a tax to support their school and other needs. Because they do. They maintain their own school. So in traditional Semburu society, children are engaged in tending livestock. But in Umoja, the children can get an education. There's a primary school that can accommodate 50 children. The village has also been able to open a nursery school. They're very focused on education. Even though they're very small, they realize that they have to keep a certain amount of the control within the village. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. they are schooling their kids inside their village. Residents of the village also go to other villages to promote women's rights and uh, to work toward a campaign against female circumcision. How are they received in these other communities? I think that can vary a lot. I know it's been dangerous on Mm. many occasions. I would think. Um, Most of the men, as I said, don't want that influence at all. Or their women getting ideas about Mm -hmm. what womanhood should mean. Mm -hmm. So the people of the village have an objective to, quote, improve the livelihoods of women due to rampant poverty and counter the problem of women being abandoned by their families. The village also takes in runaway girls who have been thrown out of their households and raises orphans as well um, and children who have been abandoned or who have uh, been discarded due to having HIV. Wow. 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 Now... The village is attacked frequently. Um, In 2009, Rebecca Lolosoli's former husband attacked the village armed with a gun. He chased the women out of their homes uh, looking for Rebecca, who was actually not home at the time. Um, 
the women came back to the village. They weren't able to stand their ground in that instance. But he, after they ran off, there was nothing that he could do. Um, he did a little damage to the village itself, but they came back together and, and took care of it from within. In 2010, Rebecca Lolosoli was awarded the Global Leadership Award from Vital Voices. Um, she actually plans to run for a local office. No which kidding. She will be the first Semburu woman to ever do that, which is just mind-blowing and the incredible strength that's involved in even considering that kind of thing blows my mind. She has received death threats from all over the world. From all over the world? From all over the world, from people who don't believe that she has the right to stand up against tradition. Mm. Because, especially something like female genital mutilation is a tradition. Mm. Um, It is somehow holy, even though in the modern world, There are some traditions that we look at and we say, okay, well, this is vile and horrible and something that no person should allow, regardless of whether or not it's tradition. And that's one of those things. The very basic act of female genital mutilation is horrendous. But then when you go on top of that, things can go even more wrong Mm -hmm. with it and can kill a person i mean it's it's beyond barbaric so the argument that a lot of people are saying is that this is traditional Mm -hmm. this is part of our belief system Mm -hmm. this is a holy act and i I get that people want to honor their traditions Mm -hmm. especially if it has to do with with their faith maybe in this case especially give the woman the option if she feels strongly that she wants to be circumcised or genitally mutilated, you know, that can be her choice. But to force a person mm. to do this without their consent, mm. that's the issue in my mind. Yeah, even in the case of a person giving their consent, I think so often because there is that outside um, maybe family pressure or the idea that um, the the beating tradition, for instance, um, comes from the idea that it's keeping girls from becoming promiscuous. And it's the same with genital mutilation. If you're not able to physically enjoy sex, then you won't. Right. Wow. So the pressures that come from that. And I can't remember what it was that I saw. I I think it was an episode of house or something. I remember that episode. Yeah. I don't know if it was house. Wasn't the good doctor. It may have been the good doctor because it was the female doctor. Wasn't it? It was that surgeon. Right, right, right. Maybe that. Yeah. Maybe it was the good doctor. I think it was the good doctor. Anyway, um, that dealt with this issue and it was, uh, it was that same kind of situation where, um, the ruling was that the the girl could choose for herself whether or not she wanted to have this procedure done and um, decided that she would go with her family because they would disown her if mm, she didn't, yeah, right. you know, go along with it. And and what, I mean, that kind of choice is... I, it's not really a choice. It's not. No. It's horrible. There's a documentary. Uh, it's French documentary called Umoja, The Village Where Men Are Forbidden. Uh, most of this information came from a Guardian piece that I read. Also, the CNN article on beating, uh, which is really hard to read. And um, then you can check out the Umoja woman's website, which is 
umojawomen.or.ke. So it's in Kenya, so it's .ke, but it's umojawomen.or.ke, and I will post that uh, on our social media pages as well. Thanks for sticking with me uh, through that horrible, horrible thing. Are you okay? You're all right? No, I'm not okay. No, I mean, this happens, and it's awful. I know. Why is it when you cry, I always feel it's my fault? No <laughs> well, matter what. Well, that's, that's your own trigger yeah, based guess. on your abuse. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, oh, we're broken. We are so broken. <laughs> I'm glad we've got each other. We can be broken together. Anyway. We're like that... Uh, we're like that kintsugi, that um, that old broken pottery that's been soldered together with gold <laughs> to be even more beautiful and valuable after it's been put back together. Well, that's a lovely comparison. Isn't it? And yeah, we are like old broken pottery. Yeah. I like to think that you and I were small bowls that were broken and then we were soldered back together with gold to make one big bowl. You're so gross. <laughs> All right, Box of Oddities, it lands smack dab on your phone two times a week. Two times. And we will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.